Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome again to Harvest. If you're new, um, we appreciate your visit. Uh, make sure, uh, if you'd like, to follow along in today's message. There are was an outline right as you came in. You can grab one of those if you'd, if you'd like to follow that. Today in the, the talk that I'm going to give, the sermon, it's called Short But Sweet. Short and Sweet. When we, when we use that expression, short and sweet, it refers to something that's brief but, but pleasant. Uh, it's the way we like our meetings to go at work, right? Or those doctor's visits. <laughs> uh, we want them to be short and sweet. In fact, there's a, there's a, there's a business, uh, expression. Some business educators say this. Half the words can have twice the impact. Maybe the shortest Easter sermon ever happened in 1930. I don't know that you could really call it a sermon, but in 1917, there was a very powerful man, Nicholas Ivanovich Bukharin, who was a full member of the Politburo. He was the editor of the Soviet newspaper Pravda, and he was an avowed Atheist. He believed there was no God, and he wanted to convince others that there was no God. His works on economics and political science have been very influential. Well, anyway, in 1930, he went from Moscow to Kiev, and he gathered, there was gathered a huge crowd for a lecture that he was going to give. And in this lecture, over and over again for an hour, he railed on Christianity. He marshaled all the arguments that he could come up with to prove that there was no God. And the crowd sat silently. And at the end of his talk, he kind of looked defiantly out at them And said, are there any questions? Nobody moved. Everybody sat still. Until finally, one man from this massive crowd walked up to the stage and stood by the lectern near this communist leader and looked out at the crowd And said that expression, which was well known in the Russian Orthodox Church, Christ is risen. And the crowd together said, he is risen indeed. (laughs) Maybe that was the shortest sermon at Easter ever. Well, today, um, I can't promise that today's sermon is going to be the shortest ever. It won't be the longest ever, <laughs> but we're going to look at Acts chapter two. So if, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, a device, we also are going to have the, 
the words on the screen. We're going to look at what really was probably the very first Easter sermon. It was a, certainly it was the very first Christian sermon ever preached in the history of the world. And it focused so much on the resurrection that I'm calling it the first Easter sermon. Here's the summary, and this is on your outline. Uh, it was short, simple, and powerful, and, and 3,000 people genuinely received its message about Christ. So today, we're going to look at that sermon. It was given by a man named Peter. He was one of the early apostles, one of the early followers of Jesus Christ. And I really have two audiences in mind today. Some of you may be hearing this message about Jesus Christ, and maybe it's new to you or you're exploring it, you're trying to understand it, you're trying to see if it's real, if it's relevant for your life, and for you, this will be a message that clearly says, here's what the Christian message is. And then many of you, maybe most of you, will already be followers of Jesus Christ, you've already come to that understanding and that commitment in your life, and you have good news to share. So we're going to look at Peter's model for us about how he shared Christ with these people. And basically, that's the way I'm I'm casting it, how to share the good news. So for you all, let's hear the good news. And for those of you who want to share the good news, here are three things to do. And first is to point to Jesus and what he did. We'll pick up in verse 22. But before I read that verse, let me, let me set the stage. When you come to Acts chapter 2, it's the city of Jerusalem. It's in the first century. And it's not long after Jesus has died, been buried, and rose again. And then he appeared to hundreds of people over a period of some days. And he talked to them. He ate with them. He proved to them he was alive. He gathered his first followers around and he told them, look, you're going to go out and be my witnesses everywhere. And then he was gone. (laughs) He was gone. He went back to heaven. And they're like, they're standing there looking in the sky. What's going on? They are then told to wait until something special was going to happen. And in Acts chapter 2, something very special happened. God sent his spirit, his Holy Spirit, on them. And now they're speaking. These uneducated Galileans are speaking to people that are gathered from all over the known world. It's one of the major Jewish festivals, Passover. On the day of Pentecost, they, they have this festival... And, and they're gathered and they, they all speak different languages, but the, the miracle was they all heard in their own language and they're asking, what's going on? Peter stands up and tells them, Hey, these people aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This is God sending his spirit. And then he explains the message about Christ. And the first thing he does is he points to Jesus and what he did. I'll pick up in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible 
for death to keep its hold on him. Peter's focus in this message was not on turning over a new leaf, becoming a good person, joining a new denomination or church, going through some religious rituals. He focused on a person. It's like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me focus on Jesus. And it's simple. It's sometimes we get intimidated about talking to people about what this Christian message means, what, what we call the gospel. What does it mean? It's real simple. It's about Jesus' life and ministry, who he was. This is the way he lived. He was perfect. He was the son of God. And here are the things he did. And then he died and he was buried. And then after that, the resurrection. God raised him from the dead. Now, remember, these events were very fresh in their minds because they had just happened in Jerusalem. If it weren't true, if somehow this was a hoax, somebody in the crowd or maybe several somebodies in the crowd would have stood up and said, oh, no, no, Peter, you're mistaken. Here's where the body is, right? See, we we live 2,000 years later, and sometimes people doubt that it happened or deny that it happened. But for them, there was no doubt because they had... They had seen it. There, there were many witnesses right there in the crowd who had seen it all. And so Peter talks about their responsibility. You, you crucified him. And that's, we're, we're responsible for our right and wrong. And they were wrong. He talks about God's plan to use it all. And he talks about how God affirmed who Jesus was. So that's, that's the first thing. If you want to understand what Christianity is, think about Jesus and what he did. And if you want to help somebody understand Christianity, point to Jesus. Don't get entangled in all the churches and the denominations and the questions and the controversies. Just point to Jesus. Second, focus on what the resurrection proves about Jesus. Verse 29. Fellow Israelites... I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was about to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. As I mentioned a minute ago, Peter did not try to prove to them that Jesus had raised, because they were witnesses. They they knew that it was there. But since we live 2,000 years later, do we have any confidence that this is more than just a religious hope? Do we have any confidence that people are just imagining this and, and wanting it to be happening? And I would say, for us, we're in, a different, we're in a different place than they were because we live much later. How do we know that anything is true historically? What do we depend on to find out? And I would say, let's submit the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four writers that talk about the resurrection and talk about Jesus' life. Let's submit them to the same truth claims that you would submit any historical document. Anything that you would use in court. Hey, parents, 
you have multiple children and you come home and you find a huge mess in the living room and all the kids are denying it, how do you find out? Well, you start asking questions, right? You start looking for witnesses. And there, there were eyewitnesses. Hey, what did you see? What did you, what did you see? And then you, you look for consistency, right? It, does somebody in their own story, do they tell you one thing one time? And then a little bit later when they're pressed, they tell you something different? Police officers do that all the time. Courts do that when they're, when they're examining people like, oh, maybe they said this, but then they change their story. In this case, the testimonies are consistent. There's also corroboration. Is there anything left that shows this is true? Again, parents, you walk in, you see the big stain on the carpet, and everybody denies it. Now, I know your kids would never do that. You just heard about that, right? But then you go up to them, you go up to one of their rooms, and there's the the bottle of Coke or whatever that's got a little bit left in it, and that and that person, oh, you know, now there's corroborating evidence, right? Well, in this case, the corroborating evidence was a tomb that was empty. They could go to that spot. They could say, this is where Jesus was, and now he's gone. And by the way, the Roman soldiers were there guarding him. What else? Accuracy. Do we have an accurate record of what they wrote? And... On this case, the New Testament is stronger, much stronger than any document from ancient history in terms of the number of manuscripts and the breadth of the ones that cover them. Then finally, change lives. Here were people like Peter and these early followers that they gave their life for Jesus Christ. They, they were totally changed. They once were scared. They once were denying. And now they're boldly going into the same city and saying, hey, he is alive. So this is what the resurrection proves about Jesus. Let's follow. Let's finish the passage and see what it says. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Here's the key verse. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So, those are two words that need a little bit of definition. What does it mean, Lord and Messiah? In other words, Peter is saying, because he rose from the dead, that proves to us all That Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Messiah. Now, the term Lord could be just a polite term, meaning sir. But you trace how it's used through the Bible and it, it, it goes beyond that. It becomes master or owner. It's, it's another name for God the ruler. So in other words, Jesus is not just a religious teacher, not just a good man. He is the master of all. And he's Messiah. The Old Testament always had this expectation that there was going to come one day a a new ruler that was going to be the Savior and the King. And that's who they called the Messiah. It means the anointed one. 
It's a translation of the word Christ. So you, when you say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his second name. <laughs> it's not like, or his last name, Jesus Christ. It's, Christ is a title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. And again, in keeping with this promise all through the years in the Old Testament that one day in the line of David, another king was going to come that was going to save, that was him. And he quotes this. So Jesus isn't just a good man. He's just not one among many. It's not just one religion that you can choose versus, oh, I'll decide to do this as opposed to that. I read this week about a Muslim student who became a follower of Jesus. I don't guess that happens a lot. (laughs) But this was a Muslim college student. And one of his friends heard about it. And he came to him and he's like, are you crazy? Why, Why are you going to follow Jesus? And he said, well, it's pretty simple. The way I look at it is if I'm walking down a road and I come to a fork in the road and I need to decide which way to go and I need a guide and there are two guides that are there. One of them is dead and one of them is alive. Which one am I going to (laughs) follow? That's what the resurrection proves about Jesus. Well, the final thing this morning is explain the conditions and the promises of the gospel. When Peter gave this message, he said, you know, there's some conditions to it. Not everybody automatically is a Christian. And that's an important message for us to hear in America. Just because we live in America, a so-called Christian nation, doesn't mean that everybody is automatically a Christian. Look what Peter said to them. Verse 37, when the people heard it, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's three conditions mentioned in this verse. The first one is repentance. Repentance is not feeling, uh, doing penance. Some people think it's, oh, it's, I've got to do certain things, or I just feel sorry. But repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. So it's like if I'm walking in this direction and I suddenly realize, hey, I'm walking in the wrong direction. When I repent, I turn to walk in the other direction. And that's what the first thing that Peter says you need to do. The second thing is faith. Now, the word faith doesn't explicitly appear in this verse. But the reason why I put that in there is that. Repentance and faith are tied together all through the New Testament and even in Acts, all through the places in in the book of Acts. Sometimes they'll say repent. Sometimes they'll say believe. Sometimes they'll say repent and believe. So what's the deal? It's like a coin. You, You remember in the old days when you actually had physical money? Anybody remember that? Anybody old enough? I know you're much older than I am. You. But some of you will remember physical money, right? And there's a heads on one side and a tails on the other. Repentance is one side and faith is the other. So you repent, you're walking the wrong way and like, oh, I'm walking the wrong way. I need, I need to trust Christ. 
and there's the faith. Well, he also mentions baptism. Baptism is an outward sign. So repentance and faith are something that happen inwardly inside of you. And then after you make that decision for Christ, as an outward sign, then you are baptized. Now, some people have gotten confused on these verses because it says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But the way this is written in the original language is the, the best translation is because. In other words, because your sins have been forgiven, then you are baptized. So you repent and believe, and then you want people to know about it. And the way you show them is you submit to this public thing called baptism. What are the promises? So that's, that's what you have to do to be a Christian. You have to realize you are wrong. You, you need Christ in your life. And so you're going to turn to him. You're going to put your faith in him. And that's what it takes. And then as a public expression of it, you're baptized. Well, here's what is promised if you will do that. First of all, your sins will be forgiven. And secondly, you will be given the Holy Spirit. So you put it together and you've got this incredible promise. Forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sins clings the slate from the past. And the gift of the Holy Spirit gives you a promise for the future. And that that promise wasn't just for them. Notice as we finish the passage, uh, verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. See verse 41, do you see the order? First they accepted the message and then they were baptized. The heart comes first and that's what they did. Now, while I have incredible confidence in the historical reliability of the resurrection, I I believe it is strongly, strongly attested in history. I believe it's objective fact. I believe it's objective truth. This is more than just head knowledge for me. Because... Jesus Christ has met me, and I have met him, and I have turned my life over to him years ago, and he's real. He's real even today, and he can be real for you, and he can be real for the people that you love, the people that you want to share Christ with, and I think it's just pretty simple. Focus on Jesus, talk about what the resurrection does, and then just simply explain what the conditions of the gospel and the promises of the gospel are. Repentance, faith, and then after they make the decision, baptism. Sometimes we want to overcomplicate it. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Now here at Harvest, you can see on these two side walls, we're, we're going through this, this book called Acts in the New Testament. And every week we're taking one passage from one to another to another. It's called When God Builds His Church. And today, here's the bottom line. When God builds His church, it shares the gospel of Jesus. That's why that arrow on that wall is pointing to gospel. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is the basic news that Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, rose again, and now is there to save you. This year, 2021, is the 40th anniversary of the Indiana Jones Empire. Four films. How many of you have seen any of any of the Indiana Jones movies? All right. You know, there's four and there's one in production. There's going to be a it's supposed to come out next year. The fifth one, Indiana Jones five is coming out next year. So there's this scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where Indiana Jones, who's Harrison Ford, he's in this chasm and he's holding on by one hand and with the other hand. He's reaching out to get this goblet that supposedly had the blood of Christ. I don't know if any of you remember that scene, but he's reaching out. He's trying to grab it. And he's like, he can just, he's holding on so he doesn't fall down. And he's just reaching and he can almost graze it and touch it. And he says, I can almost touch it. Well, his father, Sean Connery, is up above and he's he's holding his, he say, give it up. (laughs) Stop, Indy. Don't do it. Just forget it. And there comes a point where he gives it up, where he decides not to get it, and he turns and reaches up and grabs his father's hand, and his father pulls him up to safety. And I think that's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God reaches down his hand to us, that's what he did when he sent Jesus, and he's giving us an offer to to be saved. We're reaching and grabbing for other things that really could endanger us, even though we think we want them. Repentance is when we decide, you know what? I'm not going to reach anymore. And faith is when we say, okay, I'm going to accept the offer of that hand that's put out there. And when we do that, God pulls us up and saves us. So where are you today? Is this just words to you? Is it just, you know, something you've heard about? Is it, okay, this is the Easter message? Or is this a reality I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is real and he can change your life. And God in his mercy is reaching down with that offer. And if you're, if you've never accepted him and accept that offer, then today's a great day to say, you know what? I'm going to stop reaching for all this other stuff in life. And I am going to grab hold of Christ by faith. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. 
Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.